want to thank everybody for tuning in today to episode 64. And please welcome my good friend, the great Bob Henrit, coming to you live from England. And there he is. Got it. It says. All right. Back live, eh? Uh, back live. Thanks, Bob. It's good to see you, man. It's and uh, I was just, you know, I was just rambling on about. I, I didn't want to get into it too much off the air. Your incredible history and career. It's, uh, I, you know, it, there's just so much to talk about. Can we, uh, Bob? Can I ask you this? Can we make any sort of mention of of what we did yesterday? The uh, the screen. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'll, I'll just say this and then I'll, I'll let you um, chime in wherever you'd like. But Bob, so everybody watching at home, Bob was nice enough, uh, knowing we were doing this today, invited me to have a virtual screening of a documentary that's in the progress called One More Time. And uh, Bob is featured heavily in it as is Clint Cattini and Brian Bennett uh, in the way of drummers. And I saw Ralph Salmons in, in a couple of the shots. Yeah. Um, and he it's is, a, Ralph is something else. He sure is. Yeah, he is. He played. He played by with a little help from my friends, and he read it. I mean, it was astonishing. It it was just when I saw him doing it, I thought, oh gosh, this guy can really <laughs> play, and he's a good guy too, of course. He's, he's as all drummers are. I've yet to meet one that isn't. You're absolutely right. Mm. And and speaking of good guys. You're definitely at the top of the list of good guys. I've known you, I'd say, better part of 30 years. Yeah. And, uh, and, and when I'd come over to London for the, the Zildjian get-togethers, and, and I'd always look forward to talking with you because I feel like every, every time I'd see you, there'd be, just in passing, you'd mention something, there'd be a story, there'd just be a little anecdote of, you know, I remember the time... Keith Moon and I were doing this or something. And, uh, and so it's, it's, you have a fascinating history and I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you. Well, I've, I've kept awake as much as I could, you know, a lot <laughs> of guys in bands and a lot of road crew get on the bus and go to sleep. Well, I don't do that. I look out of the window and I want to see what's out there. And, you know, if, I mean, I've done massive tours of America, more than probably most American drummers have. And I've done and I've really enjoyed it. And, you know, where it's it's John, I'm sure you know this, where there's a uh, there's a horizon at the front, a horizon at the back, one at the left and one at the right. And if, if you're going through Wyoming, I'm sorry, Wyoming, but there's not a great deal to see. <laughs> and uh, so I, I was always interested in in seeing what was there. You know, I imagined myself in North by Northwest, you know, Cary Grant, I, I imagined that that was me. And I, I, I mean, I, the most successful musicians are the ones who don't mind being on the road. The yeah. least successful yeah. musicians are the ones that do mind being on the road. So I love it. And I, I've, you know, I've kept looking out for years and years and years. I haven't seen a UFO yet, but I've only been, I've only been looking for 60 years. So, you know, there's plenty of time for that, but I haven't yeah. seen a UFO <laughs> and I, but I, I must say, I do go to Grand Central if ever I'm in New York and I stand under the clock and I imagine I'm going somewhere. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm blessed with the wanderlust. The most, I, I spoke to Cozy Powell about it 
And Cozy said, you know what? If if you didn't like uh, being on the bus or being on the road, then you were definitely in the wrong industry. You should find something else to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have always dug it. I mean, it's what something that I love to do. And of course, and of course, you wouldn't know this, but I've been writing about it for years. And so there's there's a book coming. I've probably gone out of order, John. But I mean, grab me if you want. But uh, I've one of the books is called On the Road Again. Of course, inevitably, one had to be, and that's about the Kinks. It's about Don McLean. It's about Arjun. It's about Adam Faith. It's everybody I've been with. But there's another one that I've done, which is to do with being. Uh, being on the road with my wife and the family, which is a completely different animal. And so I've I've done that and that and kept all the notes. And that book's going to be called Have You Come Far? And there's a reason for this. You you wouldn't know, and I'm not sure whether I'm going to get end up in the Tower of London. But the, when the Queen meets you in Windsor High Street, she will say, Have you come far? And whereupon, by the t- by the time you've realised the Queen's speaking to you, that you you're about to say, "Well, I only live around the corner, ma'am," but she has moved on to the next guy, and guess what she's saying? Have you come far? And I just think it's such a wonderful title for a book. So that's what it is. And uh, anyway, so I have a wanderlust. Man, well, so so let's start. Let's let's go back a little ways. Um, by my estimation, you started playing professionally probably before you were 18, but 1962, um, that's when you joined the Roulettes. That was the yes, yeah. sort of first big big band, so to speak. Yeah, it was yeah. first proper professional type band. And uh, we were on, we, we did, we would do three gigs a day sometimes, a TV in the morning and a, a radio in the afternoon and a gig in the evening. And mm. this went on for five years. And uh, I mean, it, it it was it was hard work, but it wasn't hard work because I was doing what I wanted to do. You know, I did I did what I was meant to be doing. So I, I really enjoyed it. We, we in those days, uh, you would go. I spoke to Pacey about this. We would go to Germany and we do nine 45 minute spots a night. Now, I'll say that again, nine 45 minute spots a night which is a bit like being down the mines, only harder, in my opinion. So most bands in those days had three 45-minute spots uh, that that they could just do. So we had to do those three times. Well, those those three spots included a drum solo. So in in the nine 45-minute spots, I do three drum solos and really, really enjoy it. And you know what? Drummers will get this, I hope. I learned where the offbeat goes. You know, and it actually doesn't, you know, it ain't going to, it doesn't have to be on two and four. I'm not suggesting uh, that you move it that far, but, you know, there are places around the pocket, as we know, that are very, very uh, necessary. So I learned all that in uh, uh, in Germany, in German clubs. And we we had a, a we, we would start off with dimples and everybody knows there's a two, four, sort of two, four, quasi two, four, sort of two, four. And so we'd start off with that. And, uh, and then we would just, I would play do, 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 through the, through the, the two, four and everybody would join in. And eventually we'd be, uh, we'd, we'd go to 12, eight or we'd go to five, four, we'd go to whatever. And 45 minutes later, we drag it back to two four, 
and it would be over. And that was where we learned things. You know, hold, hold your head up's rhythm came from there. So um, we we found out. I mean, the thing is that nine forty-five minute spots is it's got to take nine hours to do it, and uh, you know, it's that's mm-hmm. afternoon till late, and you had to keep going until the last punter had left. So it could be one o'clock in the morning. And when we first went there, we thought all these wonderful looking women were there to see us. You know, they'd be draped along the bar. Uh, and uh, we, we thought, oh, these, all these women, it's fabulous. And of course, they weren't there to see us, us, us at all. They were uh, women of negotiable affection, they called them. And, and so we'd be looking across at, and they thinking, well, they're not moving much when we do anything. So we, we realized that they were there for the, uh, for the men. Uh, but it was something somebody to play to (laughs) and and that was that was probably around the time i mean you know there's been so much talk about the beatles as of as of late with get back and you know they were they were in germany in the early 60s as well kind of honing their their skills as it were was it around that time the early night like 61 60 or 62 63 something like that yeah, I, I went to Germany first with Unit 4 Plus 2, if you remember them, Concrete and Clay. Yeah. And uh, I have to say, God knows what we were doing there, but we were getting our act together, really, and we had a lot of fun. And that was the very beginning of doing long stints of music. But nobody, none of us thought it was bad. We actually thought it was good. And Cozy didn't think it was bad, and... and uh, Pacey didn't think it was bad. That's what we did, you know. And David Essex, who was a drummer in those days, he didn't think it was bad either. Wow, so we wow. we did what we did, and uh, and life went on. And you know, before we knew where we we were making records, of course. So we come back, we make a record, or we songs would be written while we were there. I mean, we actually did do those long stints with Arjun, and. Uh, the next thing we knew, we were in we were in America. So we left. Uh, it, we we were playing mostly in. Um, oh, where the heck were we? In well, let's say we were in Berlin anyway, and we would find. And eventually, the next thing we knew, we were in America, and we're going all over America with bands. We were with CBS, and bands would um, they would put bands together. So the sort of bands that they would we we, we toured with Mahavishnu at a time when nobody wanted to because they were all scared to, and we all thought, well, let's have a bash. Let's see how this goes. So that was when Billy and I first be- became, I was going to say friendly. I mean, he would sit, at, he was a photographer at the time and Billy would sit in the blinking audience taking photographs of my drum solo. Now, just imagine that. It, it was ridiculous. And I, 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 said, I said later on, I said, Billy, do you know how difficult it is to play a drum solo in front of you. He said, oh, but I was being a cameraman. I said, not to me, you weren't. <laughs> I can't even imagine it. I cannot, I, I think I'd, yeah, I, I, I'd pass out if I saw Billy Cobham in the audience taking pictures of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so jumping back a little bit earlier in this, so, so I was curious to know um, when the, you know, having seen the film yesterday, um, and I'm, I'm hopeful that it's everybody else can see it soon. I know there's still some things left for you guys to, to work mm-hmm. out, but it was really enjoyable. Uh, but having seen the film yesterday, 
when did you when when did the sort of London session scene start to sort of uh, pick up and get its momentum? Like what year oh. or around when? Okay, well, well, when as the film says, um, it, it would have been the sixties, uh, but mm. before that. Um, Rock and roll sessions, or sessions, let's not say rock and roll sessions. Sessions were the province of proper musicians, you know, guys who could read fly shit, uh, and we couldn't, but the guys who, who could play, but they didn't, they didn't really feel the music, not like us guys did. Mm-hmm. So eventually it was realized that uh, as good as the, the jazz guys and the dance band guys were, they, they didn't have the enthusiasm and the angst, perhaps, that we had. So um, my first proper session was with a band called The Hunters. And then my next proper session was with Unit 4 Plus 2. And that was Concrete and Clay, which sold 2.2 million records. And I probably should uh, put a codicil here. We got £5, 15 shillings and sixpence, which is, you know, close to $6 for the session. And, and and that's what we did. So that that hasn't really the film doesn't doesn't really portray that well enough for me, you know. About but we didn't care, you know. And the interesting thing is, John, if somebody had said to us, "Do you want? Would you like a piece of the action?" Not that anybody said that then, but would you like a piece of the action, or or would you like cash? Most of us would have said, "Well, we'll take the cash," yeah. because there were so many records that you played on that didn't make it. Of course, the the ones that everybody remembers are the ones that did make it. And of course, in Clem's case, everything bloody well made it. You know, every everything he touched was was a hit record. I mean, he, he his list is uh, is there. I mean, he's he, he's done it. And Brian too. You know, it's a shame Brian wasn't there, but um, yesterday. But uh, I mean, Brian was. A, I mean, Brian wrote "Summer Holiday." You know, the Cliff Richard thing, and. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which uh, is a good thing, to say the least, I'm sure, you know. Yeah, yeah, I know. I Cliff I know. was really good in the film. I thought he was magnanimous. He was everything. Fantastic, yeah. And and for people watching at home, you know, uh, Jimmy Page is, is um, interviewed was, in it. And, and Yeah, he was cool. Yeah, Hang on, talks. I'm going to do something here. John, how old it? Let's get rid of that one. Get rid of that one. Get rid of that one. Is there anybody there? Oh, there you are, yeah. <laughs> Yes. Um, yeah. Just so, so people know, I mean, and you, you know, you were part of that same group of guys, session players from that time before Jimmy, of course, even it was it even before the Yardbirds probably. Right. I mean, it was way before Led Zeppelin, but Jimmy was a session player. You, you guys were session players and. Um, well, we and, were also in bands. So that was yeah. that's probably the key to it, John, that we were in bands as well. Uh, I, I know that a lot of guys in, in Nashville want to get away at the weekend so they can woodshed and play the stuff that they want to play and, you know, let, let their hair down. And so, but they're not supposed to be doing that, are they? They're all supposed to be sitting in bed waiting for the call. They're, hey, we need an overdub or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, it, it it was a, a, a splendid time and we, we enjoyed ourselves immensely. For me, playing live was extremely important. You know, I, I wanted to get out there and uh, and rock. You know, and then yeah. which is yeah. what we all did. Whereas, of course, the guys, the, the the jazz guys who had who had come to rock and roll that way, 
they they didn't want to rock like we wanted to rock you know and there's only one way to rock and that's live really to make it happen so that's what we did yeah um i, I want to just read a comment from michael welch who said he saw argent in 72 with mahavishnu in orlando florida both bands yeah. were great so yeah so 50 almost 50 years ago yeah does he remember what happened i wonder ah well, Billy, I, Cotton, Billy Cotton fell asleep in his bedroom, in his room, and didn't turn up for the gig. Did you have to? I'm not quite sure what happened after that, because but he didn't, he didn't make the gig. <laughs> oh my god! But if you remember that, was was Billy Cotton there? Um, I'll see what he says. I'll he, I'll see if he comments on that. Okay. Uh, wow, that's too too funny. Wow. I thought you were going to say that you then had to go up and do the set with Mahavishnu, and I would have my. Oh. <laughs> I mean, no. I mean, I would have had a crack. But I mean, the thing is that certainly with Argent, we were doing five four and nine four and nine eight. You name it. You know, if if we could push the envelope, we did. Yeah. So the envelope was a lot wider than before we started. So we, I mean, we we were into that those odd time signatures, and they were great fun. There was a my drum solo was in five four. which is uh, also uh, an interesting thing to do. Wow. Well, and just to jump back a second too, when we were talking about the film, when, when, um, when Bob was talking about Clem, we're talking about Clem Catini, of course. And, uh, and we're talking about um, Brian Bennett and also kind of going back to the, the sort of session players of that, of that period, there was also, um, Ronnie Varell, oh yeah, who was who was active at that time as well, right? In those in those mm. days, and yeah, Ronnie the, was a proper jazz drummer. Yeah, okay, and, and if you like, perhaps a a proper dance band drummer. And we were we, we would find ourselves on the on the same television programs when I was with Adam Faith, and he 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 looked at what I was doing and he said, "How are you doing that?" I said, "What." I'm just playing. He said, no, you're not. You're doing it differently. So I was, whatever I was doing, I I had a traditional grip where all of a sudden guys like Bobby Elliott didn't have, and I don't know if Bobby was the first one to have a matched grip, but he was certainly, that was was his thing. And so Ronnie said, will you come round and show me what you're doing? So I said, sure. It didn't happen, but it would have been rather interesting showing Ronnie Verrill something. (laughs) Yeah, no, I know he was he was fantastic. Yeah, he was. Michael yeah. Welch is mentioning Bobby Graham, who of of course uh, prolific uh, player as well, and and mm. uh, and Bobby Elliott of Elliott, of course, from the Hollies, great drummer, great drummer. Yeah. Um, well, there's there's I have a story if you're interested about about Bobby Graham. Yeah, Bobby was sure. around the corner from everybody seems to be around the corner from me when I was growing up, and and, and Bobby Graham uh, played it. it well, it doesn't matter who he played with, but he was he was a really, really school player. And we 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 knocked around together. And I got a phone call from an American voice that I didn't know. And the guy said, Can you do a session on Friday at IBC? I said, Yeah, what time? He said, 10 o'clock start, usual. I said, Okay. So I didn't know who it was with, but no, but that came from out of the film. You never knew who the heck you were going to be playing with, you know. But anyway, so I didn't know who it was with. And I made the mistake of being too honest. Now, I've always been too honest, but this was the 
the biggest uh, shot in the foot ever. And I, I said to Adam Faith, we were doing a we were doing a weekend variety in Wimbledon, and uh, I said, tell I've got a session on. Uh, I've got a session on Friday, but no problem with the gig. He said, you can't do a session in case you're late. I said, tell, it's just across London. We're talking about four miles. I'm not going to be late. He said, well, you can't do it. He said, I'm forbidding you. So cut to the chase. I didn't do it. Cut to the chase. It was you really got me. So I didn't do it. And uh, I've often wondered, uh, what, how I would, because it goes da 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 ah. And it, that sets up everything. That single beat, single downbeat sets it off. And uh, I've often wondered, if I'd have been on that session, would I have played what Bobby Graham played? Or would I have tried to be, or would I have done flats in Dagenham or, or something something else? But in the end, I didn't get to do it. But uh so that you was the first one I didn't do. You got to play yeah. it later with the Kinks. Oh, I did, yeah. And it was, yeah. It, yeah. I played it last week at the Kinks convention. Fantastic. Wow. <laughs> it's still, it's still yeah. going on. That, but that's a great story. Yeah. That, that, the, you know, the one that got away, so to speak. Yeah. That, that it, um... I think most drummers have got that story in them. You know, I mean, I don't know if you, I, I didn't join Genesis because, well, that was for, uh, reasons of contract but uh I, I, we were doing a gig in Guildford and I looked across and I thought that looks like Phil Phil Collins it is Phil oh, I'll, I'll talk to him after the show and I went to talk to him and he said uh, do you want to be in Genesis I said why what's happening he said well Peter's leaving the band he said I'm going to sing and I want you to come and play drums as well so as it happens I couldn't do it because of contract sort of difficulties so i didn't do it which was <laughs> another one that got away well it's it's i guess it, it says something that you've you know gigs like that come your way what you, you know and you you're you honor your commitments and and that's that's a good thing too you know well i, I played i went to fisher's lane farm which was their studio and i and i was making now with mike rutherford and so there I set my drums up in Phil's um, in Phil's uh, drum booth, and I sounded like something in the air tonight. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, I couldn't help sounding like him. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, I, I that's that's a great story. I didn't I didn't realize that. And so uh -huh. so Argent so you Argent carried on into the mid seventies, right? That was yeah, and that was your 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 sort of commitment in terms of a, a band but you were still doing sessions and then when that ended oh yeah yeah did it i mean not that not that you, that had to end for you to open your shop but i know around the same time you opened your drum shop in london yeah that was uh that was 78 77 78 and uh, i had always had a, a a desire to to have a drum shop I, there, I, for me there was no better better environment you know i wanted to go there and meet my friends you know so yeah. I thought, well, if I want to meet my friends, why don't I have a drum shop? So I did. And it was in Wardour Street, which was very close uh, to Marquee Studios. And so we'd be in the shop, and every now and again, a record producer would run out of Marquee into the drum store and say, uh, 
have you got any drummers here? And we say, well, yeah, we're, we're sort of a drum store. We've got a lot. How many do you need? And they, they would be, they'd be doing a punk session in Marquee Studios. And the drummer had said, well, look, I've done it once. So I'm not going to do it again. If you didn't get it, that's your fault. So they would then go down to the ship, which was a, uh, a, a pub. And uh, that would be the last they see. So one of us would go and, and play. And, of course, we could play fast, we could play loud, we could do all of that stuff, uh, but we didn't have the hair, we, <laughs> we didn't have the ripped clothes or any of that stuff. But I've been on records and I have no idea who these people were, no idea. Yeah. And, I, <laughs> and, of course, I'm not the only one. So that was another, that, that was a direct result of being, uh, uh, being in Wardour Street uh, as indeed was Keith Moon. He was the direct result of us being in Wardour Street as well. Yeah. And Mooney would, um, Mooney, another one who lived around the corner from me. And on his way home at three or four o'clock in the morning, he would knock on my door and, and say, dear boy, what about a cup of tea? And I'd say, Mooney, it's three o'clock. He said, yes, what about a cup of tea? So we'd have a cup of tea and we'd talk about drums and we'd, we'd do all of that. And he once admitted in, in The Melody Maker that I was his favourite drummer. Uh, so I, I was rather pleased with that. Yeah. So uh, we, we bumped into each other a great deal. And he was, um, he was crazy. I mean, but he was crazy in a good way rather than crazy in a bad way. And if he was playing a joke on you, he would keep going until you laughed. If it took him an hour, he would keep going until you laughed. And uh, we're not going to see his like again. Uh, I mean, certainly in um, in those days, he was um, he was the man. He really was, and uh, he was the most natural of drummers. He didn't care which hand was going to go for the downbeat. He had it; it was there, you know. And uh, he would make it happen. Yeah, yeah. He gave me um, like looking at all the Gretchen in the background. He had this this drum called a DRB Special. And he, it was, it was a, it was a Gretsch snare drum. And the only thing that made it different to a Gretsch snare drum is it had a, a little plaque on it saying DRB special. And he tried to give it to me. He tried to give it to me when he tried to give me a bottle of Remy and uh, before the gig, he said, have some of this, this will help. <laughs> oh yeah, right. <laughs> so he said, and by the way, dear boy, I've got something for you. And he was sitting in his uh, leather armchair in the dressing room, and his leather armchair had a, a flight case. So he took it everywhere with him. So he's sitting in his leather armchair with a, a crate of Remy down by the side of him and a DRB special uh, snare drum on his lap, which is for me. And he said, dear boy, this is for you. And I said, I can't take it, Keith. Of course, it's one of the big regrets that I never took it. But the story... Um, unfolds that later on somebody phoned me up and said uh, do you know what a drb special is i said yeah i said it's a snare drum he said well i'm outside uh, a charity shop in croydon and there's a drb special on the step waiting for a home and i he said is it worth taking I said, yeah, give me a call. And uh, so this, the DRB special, which we I don't know what it, I've looked it up and I guess you have, and I've never, ever found out anything about it. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. I mean, but, was it was it a metal? Was it a, a chrome over oh, brass? It was wood. It was, it was wood. wood. 
Right. Yeah, which was a bit of a surprise, really. Yeah. Wow. Right. And did you meet Keith before he was in? The, did you know him before he joined the Who, or did, had you met him at, at like? Well, it would be roughly the same time. They were the high numbers, but uh, it would be roughly the same time. And we, I mean, everybody played together. I mean, we would do gigs with Pink Floyd, and it would be three o'clock in the morning, and one of us would have to go on last, and the audience would be lying on the floor, <laughs> on the wet floor, dare I say. So, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Bit like Fillmore West, come to think of it, only Man. probably not as more wet. But uh, we we would do these gigs together, and it, it, that was that was what we did. That's, that's the gigs that you did, and we do TV together, and we do radio programs together, and that was everybody. Bobby, we we did things with the Hollies, and Bobby and I, Bobby uh, Bobby Elliot and I were 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 good pals, and we decided. We wanted to make a record. And it was, we thought, it's long enough after Sandy Nelson, so we ought to make a drum record. Yeah. So we made yeah. a record called Drum and Coke. Now, this, I promise you, was in the days when Coca-Cola was Coke. So <laughs> there's, there's no double entendre here. And so we, we made the A side, and the B side was, why won't they let us drummers sing? And so he and I were singing, why won't they let us drummers sing? It seems to me it really is a waste. Why won't they let us drummers sing? It seems to me they've really got no taste. And so it went on from there. There isn't anyway. So we 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 made a singing record. It never came out, which is a great shame. And I spoke to him about it. You know, he's got a book out. It's, I didn't it's know that. Called, no, it's called uh, It Ain't Heavy, the, the book is called. And I discovered, now this will probably open people's eyes. He worked down the mines down the coal mines. And I assumed that he sort of had the same sort of upbringing as me, but he was a blinking coal miner. Wow. And, wow. Uh, and then, of course, he went on to, to be uh, the Hollies drummer. And certainly everybody I've ever spoken to in America was always enamored with him. Uh, certainly Max Weinberg was. Mm. And, uh, I mean, it, all of these guys had a huge effect. The, the film you saw yesterday they those guys didn't realize how big the effect they'd had on american drummers and uh, what we were doing as as i probably said yesterday uh, was we would we'd learn a song without having any idea of the sticking or how it was meant to go and we would learn it and we would send it back to america and america would love it because it was these guys with funny hair and they uh, it was a time when they assumed that everybody came from Liverpool. So it, we came from London, so we were Liverpool people, but, but we weren't. So we, we it, it was really part of what we did. And uh, as far as playing was concerned, we just kept going and kept getting back in the van. And, uh, and then there were aeroplanes, and then we started doing America. And when, once we started doing America, CBS would um, put us in with another that they would use put all their artists together. So there'd be a tour going around the country with 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 the drummers like Lenny White and Alphonse Muzon and all these guys. So all of a sudden I'm with the cream of the cream and I'm and and seeing what's going on. So it really, really was great. It was a I was very fortunate. I, I think it's easy for me to say I was fortunate. We were all fortunate. We uh, we were doing what we wanted to do. But I mean I, I probably mentioned this yesterday. 
we we there was no way we could see how to play these things. So we assumed what we were doing was right. We sent it back to America. And I mean, for the, the big example is, is Peggy Sue. Peggy Sue is paradiddles. And yes. we yes. never knew. We were hammered away, you know, single strokes. Da, 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 da. There was no let up with what we were doing. And we sent it back to America. And, and they loved it for whatever reason. And it wasn't until I played with the crickets in 1962, or maybe, yeah, 62, but I, I realized it was a paradiddle, and mm-hmm. none of us had given that a thought that it was, you know, this was proper drum stuff going on here. You know, we were having <laughs> the, the other one is is knock on wood, which I don't know if you know it. Well, of course you know it, but it, it it's got it's got a downbeat bass drum, bomb, bomb, That's all it does, and then da da. I mean, there's nothing happening. So once we got hold of it, we went ba ba bit it on bomb ba ba da ba da di do da da ra ba 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 ba. I mean, it was it was another blinking opus by the time we got hold of it, <laughs> and everybody played it like that. Yeah, yeah. It 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 was such a great time, you know. To to it had to be, you know, for you to 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 be around at that time, you know. Uh, and be part of that scene. I, that's all I can say. I mean, I just, the music, that's the music that speaks to me most, you know, that, that came out during that time. And yeah. and uh, it had to have been uh, just a... I think the interesting thing is, John, that music is made for a time. So our, the music that we've been talking about so far was made for a period in time. And, and we loved it. Now, music, modern music is not made for us. It's made for kids in their period in time mm-hmm. and i mean uh, that might sound like sour grapes but it's not meant to you know the, every every i guess music always has its own hole that it goes into and then moves on and i mean it's not that we couldn't play jazz we just didn't want to play it mm-hmm. we wanted to play boom, jump, boom, boom, and we wanted to play rock and roll things and we wanted to play with elvis which never happened well yeah, I, well, he he left. I know he's left, he's left the building. Yeah, he left the building, and he left, you know, a little a little earlier than we all hoped he would. So yeah, 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 yeah. But I I have to tell you, our friend Dave Maddox is watching, and and he, all right, uh, hello, Dave. Hello, hello for me too, Dave. And he mentioned that Argent uh, opened up for Fairport. Once. Oh yeah, we did. Yeah, 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 we did. And I was going to mention Dave in in the list of of um, session players that I'm guessing. He might have come a little after. He's a little bit younger than you, so maybe I think Dave yeah, was in the seventies. It would have been, yeah, the seventies. Yeah, that yeah. certainly. Argent was sixty-nine. So up until then, we were doing. I mean, John, uh, uh, Dave was doing. Dave had a completely different route, route upwards. Uh, he was. I think he started out in a, a dance band. And he was, if he did it, he was really good at it. Yeah, yeah. Hello, Dave. He's a fine drummer, that Dave Maddox. Absolutely. And he can play anything. Yes, yes. I hate him. I've always (laughs) hated him. Never liked him. (laughs) I have so many things I want to talk to you about, Bob. I made made a whole list this morning. I would love to, um, you know, your association with Ivor Arbiter, I think, is is we've talked about that when we've gotten together um, uh-huh. in, in London. And I just, I know you had an association with him with 
going back to Haman or maybe even before that, possibly? Or um, Well, I was a Haman endorser. Yeah. And from the early days, well, from the days that Haman, but also I, 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 got a, I got a Ludwig kit from him. I was never a Ludwig endorser, but I did buy a Ludwig kit from him. And, but he, I mean, he was an enigma without, without, I mean, he had ideas about drums that nobody has had before or since, really. Yeah. I mean, he wanted yeah. to, he wanted to reinvent the wheel. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and the, certainly the, 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 the set that I was involved in, or the concept that I was involved in, the AT thing, the uh, advanced tuning system, I thought that was absolutely sublime and i thought that was going to going to rule the world i thought why would drummers wanted to use 10 screws to make something tune in tune when they can use one mm-hmm. and of mm-hmm. course the idea of hitting the top the top head and tuning the bottom head until you got the right decay that that was fantastic i thought unfortunately drummers are uh conservative with a a, a capital c and they don't like change and they didn't like they they I, they may well have appreciated what it was, but um they they didn't they didn't go for it. But as it happens, flats, which was the next development of the single screw tuning, that um that did rather well because it was it was I like every other drummer listening uh, and it didn't want to keep carrying a bloody drum kit and. Uh, and so it was an alternative drum kit that went in a bag. It's fabulous. Yeah, let's have some of that. Uh, and so that's where it all began. And, and, and that, you, was, that was that was successful. That was successful. Yeah. And you were you were a, a big part of the research and development, the R and D for that. Yeah, yeah. Consultant. No, it, was, it was hugely enjoyable. Yeah. It's it's yeah. I I just I I I wish I never got to meet Ivor uh, Arbiter, but I. He had a, like you say, he was an enigma. He had a fascinating career. And um, well, there, there's a there's a book coming out. Uh, if you hold your breath, there's a book coming out called Crash Bang Wallet. Yes. and there's a whole section on Ivor, and it, it's about all the drums we ever had and all the drummers in Britain from the war onwards. And so I, I'm, I guess I'm trying to. Um, goodbye. I, I guess I'm trying to. Uh, to, to write the story really and then I, so that's the book of the it's sort of the book of the, the british drum world really and then yeah. uh if i've got if, I, if i've got time i think i can finish off with uh, the book of the european drum because nobody's written that one yet no, and uh, yeah. and that will be complicated you know you've got czechoslovakian drum kits you've got you know all of that and a lot of italian stuff that nobody knows about mm-hmm. and the french stuff i mean i was I was amazed to discover that the Speedfire from Trixon wasn't the first with a squashed bass drum. There was another French drum kit before that, and I I didn't know. And uh, I just I was doing some research, and I discovered a photograph of it, which was made by Capel. And uh, anyway, there, there's a, there's a lot there's a lot to. I don't want the story to be lost of, of any of the things that, that I've done or uh, and the whole drum the whole drum situation where we we actually we went through and uh, we changed things and then we changed it back again. <laughs> and, uh, well, you know, I, 
I had this discussion a couple of weeks ago with um, we were after we saw the Get Back film with some. Oh, yeah. We were all we were chatting about Ringo symbols, and it was eye opening um, to me. And I think Dave Maddox, Dave was on that that particular uh, panel that I had that day, and and Dave said, you know, you should talk to Bob about this. He he might have a recollection, but uh, what was eye opening? I don't I don't know if you've seen it, Bob, but you know you can see clearly Ringo using a a Peisty six hundred two. 20 inch medium ride on his left and a Zin 20 inch with rivets. Um, and I knew that he used those symbols at different times, but I thought by the late sixties, by, by the time they did this, you know, by the, the recording for get, you know, for the rooftop concert in 1969, I thought he was using all a Zildjian's at that point. So it was, so any, I didn't well, know. I, I was a, certainly I was a, a, an endorser in 1962. And I don't, I'm pretty sure Ringo wasn't. Um, no. And so I've been been there for a while. Uh, and But we we used what we could get, you know. And I have, I probably shouldn't be telling you this, but I have memories of symbols, uh, we'll call them Zildjian because they were, where the, the, the actual crash part of it had been rubbed off and crash ride had been put in, and so and <laughs> even on a twenty-inch ride, it would say crash, you know, and it was it was it was ridiculous. But uh, if they had to get an order out, they would. Yes, uh, and, and those were the, and uh, that that's that's I was going to say that's rock and roll, but that's business. That's how it works. Yeah, yeah. But no, you I, know, yeah. Uh, go on. No, I was going to say Armin Zildjian. You told me those stories, and Lenny Demuzio that. In those days that, you know, if they had an order to fill for Manny's music or someone that required X number of ride symbols, they'd take a bunch of symbols and stamp them ride no matter Absolutely. what they ship yeah, them but, out. But the funny thing about it, John, is that you could see where it, it had once said medium. Yeah. Or, or medium crash. <laughs> I remember yeah. we getting the first Zildjian's I got, I was so excited. I had K's at the beginning. And my when I became a, a Zildjian endorser, my K's were confiscated and I was issued with a bunch of A's. Mm. And I, I never gave it a thought. You know, there I am. I'm, I'm an, a, a Zildjian endorser. And, and I, had, I had conversations with Avidis. I don't know if everybody had conversations with him, but I went out of my way to go and, and talk. <laughs> and, and, you know, I went to the factory and I, I wanted to, just wanted to be part of the whole legend, really, and I guess I still do. I mean, it's the oldest company in the in the world, isn't it? I, I think so. Yeah, 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 yeah it is. the music Definitely. business. Yeah, yeah, I wrote a, I wrote a, a story about it. Yeah, yeah. But well, as far as Ringo is concerned, yeah, um, I I can't say yes or no about uh, about whether it was a Peisty. It could have been a Peisty. But I mean, we we would get what we could. Yeah, you know, we would yeah. we would buy what we could could get. I mean, the, the Beatles were were away in in Germany uh, doing their thing, and believe it or not, they were a covers band then. They 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 were just doing covers. Yeah, and they yeah. Did, there were no such thing as Beatles songs, and then they came came back and all of a sudden the whole thing exploded and i've often wondered how they got from um from the first album 
to Sergeant Pepper. How did that happen? It just, it's, 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 a, know. Yeah. it's the, the biggest leap you can imagine. How did yeah. it happen? Yeah. And it's like they just turned on a faucet and just, you know, they were just so productive in, the, in those few years, really. It's just yeah. amazing. But, 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 but to your point, I know exactly what you're saying about playing what was available because, you know, our friend, the late, great Charlie Watts told me exactly the same thing that he used mm -hmm. to play whatever he could play. And he said, you know, I, he said, I, I played, I didn't know this till just a few years ago that, that he also played Zinn. He said, we, he said, we played these horrible things called Zinn. And I said, I, I know about Zinn, you know, and, and there were some good ones, you know, Ringo, yeah. you know, and now as, as we've seen in the film, he was playing them right up till the end of the Beatles. He was using a 20 um, yeah. riveted uh, crash to his. Well, you know, at the time, John, there were worse symbols than Zinn. And, and we all started out with Ajax symbols. And I, I couldn't give you a clue as to whether they were B1 or B12 or a B8 or a B. Nothing. I couldn't. Yeah. None of us could. You know, they, they looked like bits of tin and they probably were. I think they were. Yeah. Yeah. That those, I think some of those were, were a grade below what we think of as the cheap symbols. They were just, they, they were glorified pie plates, you know, like I, <laughs> I started <laughs> yeah. off with a few of those. But too. they, they sounded okay. They made the sound, you know, and yeah. uh, when we began, which was obviously in the fifties, well, most of us, the guys we're talking about, we didn't know anything about about maple or birch or any of that stuff so the, the the musician didn't know what difference it made and the guy selling it had even less had even less idea of what it was meant to sound like we didn't know and of course it was an expediency that in england we couldn't get maple so if we wanted maple drums we had to bring maple across from canada on a ship pay for all of that and then make some drums. So that seemed ridiculous when we we grew birch and beech in England. So why wouldn't we use it? So we did. But it's at the time I'm not sure that anybody had any idea what what a, what a drum was sound was really really meant to sound like. We hit them and they sounded great to us and if they That's sounded okay nice. to everybody else that was good too. That's an excellent point, Bob. And I, and I'm, you know, I, I think I've heard you say that in other interviews too. But I think that's important for people watching this to hear that 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 the drums that came from England at that time, Premier and and you know other brands as well, but Premier being the the biggest from that time, right? They they yeah. used yeah birch birch and beech shells because that was the wood you had, and they sounded damn good, great sounding yeah. drums. Absolutely. Yeah, well, you know, it, it, it wasn't until years later where, that we realized where the sound of a drum came from. And if you hold your hands up, <laughs> hold both hands up, yeah. that's it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, but it's true, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, our, our it, friend Dave Maddox likes to say it's it's the archer, not the not the arrow. And uh, and Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, and he's watching exactly, right now. He Dave. just said, yeah. <laughs> Happy Christmas, Dave. Yeah, happy Christmas, Dave. Um, yeah, no, that's that's a that's a very good point. Well, I, I mentioned Ivor Arbiter because I know he was importing uh, Peisty symbols. Mm -hmm, yeah, in in the sixties, and and I know that he had a big influence on the market there. You know, being who he was, that that um, he was a big part of getting those those symbols into the hands of you know 
people of you know like yourself of, of that level you know the the pros and, and whatnot so i yeah but you were a zildjian well, guy yeah you you were you you go back like you say to the early 60s with zildjian so yeah I, i've often wondered john whether anybody else has lasted as long as me with zildjian i don't think so you had to start i mean i started at 17 you had to start early and you had to, <laughs> and you had to survive <laughs> so yeah, if you were going to get to 70 odd you had to make sure you woke up every day yeah i, I think I, the only person i think that could be in contention is roy haynes god bless him who's who's still with us you know but i oh yeah yeah but 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 really they're they're i mean coming on 60 years for you that's that's a long time that's a it is yeah yeah that's that's amazing um, and I, I was going to ask you, you know, we, we, you mentioned these books that you have in the works, but your book banging on that came out in 2013, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah. a lot of these stories you were telling are probably in that book too, right? A lot of these things you've been. Like, yeah. I, yes. I mean, I didn't think I could do two autobiographies, but I, I seem to have done, you know, I mean, the thing is. There's a lot going on. Well, there's been a lot going on for me, and all I have to do is remember it <laughs> while the going is good. But what what I'm I'm quite concerned that um, there's a lot of Chinese whispers going on. You know, uh, some I don't know if you know how that works. Somebody tells one guy, who tells another guy, and by yeah. it comes while the time it arrives back to the the first guy, it's completely different. And there's a lot of that going on, and uh, I just like to make sure that the Certainly, with uh, uh, with my partner, we've we've gone out of our way to really, really check into these things and, and not make anything up. But uh, this uh, this is Nigel, who's um, hugely helpful in writing books. I, I, it took me years to work out that if somebody helped you, it could be <laughs> be a lot quicker. Yeah, yeah. No, I. I, I... I, I think that's great that you want to make sure, you know, you, you're fact checking and making sure everything is, is, uh, mm. is right. Uh, and, and I, I, knowing you the way I know you, I, I would imagine that's the only way you do things is making sure that it's accurate and, and all that. And, and it's, it's always, you know, I, I feel like we're just kind of scraping the surface too, because there's, there's just so much that you've been a part of, um, you know, in in 60 years and and the scene there you know between like you say the session scene bands um developing drum products and then before we went on the air i'd forgotten this we talked about this again years ago at a, in london when we were together but i'd forgotten you were a big part of simmons and the oh, SDX yeah. sound library and and that's amazing that's like another you know completely different Turn well, it, it, the thing is, John, it's right place and at right time. I mean, that, there's definitely and putting yourself out. But I'm, I, uh, I invented the foot pedal for the Remo Rototom, and Remo looked at it and he said, "This turns it into a musical instrument." I said, "Oh, I'm <laughs> pleased to hear you say that, Remo. Thanks a lot." <laughs> and uh, he, uh, he really liked it, and and uh, there were, it, it was part of his offering. I also invented, I don't know if you know this, because it was a Zildjian product. It was a symbol key that went on top of the symbol stand. So it was a symbol topper, but it was a, a, a drum key. 
Oh, yeah. and, and I thought and that seemed so simple. You, you know how it works. You're sitting in the studio. You're trying not to hit the drums while the guys are working out the chords or working out the shape of the arrangement and all that stuff. So you're trying not to play. And you're looking at bits of the drum kit and think, you know what, that could be better. That We could do that. We could do that. So I've always been um, interested in, uh, in, in changing things, you know, because there's a lot of stuff that's been the same for years and years and years mm-hmm. and hasn't changed. But um, there's plenty of space for change. I actually have one of those Remo Rototoms with the pedal. Oh, have you? Uh, I do. It was a gift from my late father-in-law, Vic Firth. Oh, right, from Vic. Oh, and great. I could maybe angle this camera, but let me see if this will work. So. There it is. I don't know if you're seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I had a friend of mine restore it. It was... Some tough shape. It was. It had been around for a long time, and uh-huh. uh, had gathered a lot of dust and dirt and grime, and so he kind of restored it for me. Uh, I don't know if you could hear me. A local drummer from yeah, sure. here. Yeah. So anyway, I. But when you said that, I. I thought, well, I, I have one of those. So, um, but yeah. Michael, Michael Welch is asking about your book, and I didn't want to forget to say yes. The Dave's book is on Amazon. Banging on is available on Amazon. Yeah, and and uh, I've got to get a copy. And so is the, of course is the Heyman book. The Heyman yes. book is available too. I've got to get that as well. I actually have a Heyman kit. It's in the other room. I should have had it set up in honor of your of you being <laughs> here today. But um, all right. But I do. I, I've I've you know I remember seeing pictures of you playing a. I think it was a black kit. The Heyman kit, no, the, there was a black kit, but the first kit was called Dolly Mixtures, and it was every color that they did. Oh. And a Dolly Mixture is a, it's a, a, it's a sweet here, you know. A, a, what do we call? What do you guys call a sweet? Uh, why, why can't I remember? Anyway, it's a, it's a, it's, it's something sweet that we eat, and uh, it looks a lot well. So having a one of each color. Was I always thought it was a great idea because you could be out of stock. <laughs> <laughs> there, would, there would always be enough. Yeah, yeah. I think I've seen pictures of that kit too. Now that you say that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Nigel Constable owns it now. He's the guy that I write with, so Nigel's got it now. And uh, yeah, it looks great. I, I don't understand why everybody doesn't have one. <laughs> Much simpler. Yeah, yeah. I have all the same color. <laughs> Well, I, you know, I, I, I really hope um, the the documentary sees the light of day sooner than later. Um, one more yeah. that's called "One More Time" that that you were a part of, and uh, and I, I appreciated you inviting me. And I and I know you were also part of the very successful Netflix documentary "Count Me In." That was yeah, I, I'm executive producer. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, you know, I I didn't get a chance to say yesterday, but. It's been in the making for 27 years. And when I joined the Kinks, I was working on a treatment. And it, it ultimately wasn't the same treatment that we've just put out, because, of course, time changes everything. Oh, that's a song, isn't it? Time changes everything. <laughs> so, so we, uh, it, I think it, 
And I, to 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 make a to make a, a drum film is, I mean, there's just so much to put in it, and you you can't get everything in it, and you can't you certainly can't get any, everybody into it at all. Yeah, you know, it's it's ridiculous. You know, I'm, I'd write this thing for Mike Dolbear, uh, and it's called uh, Groovers and Shakers, uh, and it's all the drummers that I've known, um, starting with Jerry Allison, and then these are the guys who taught my generation about drumming it to be absolutely honest it wasn't um it, it really wasn't the, the jazz guys who taught us you know it was p- people like uh, the crickets you know yeah. what they were doing they taught us so we started copying them and so anyway cut to the chase there are i'm up i'm i'm rocketing to what i do one a month i'm rocketing towards number 100 i'm hoping i'll get up to 100 uh but it, it's about all the drummers that made us what we are. You, of course, it's Ringo. Of course, it's Dave Clark. It's everybody, and it has to be. But it, there's, as as you probably know, you know, the if you're making a film, you haven't got six hours to fill. You know, if you're lucky, you've got two hours to fill, and uh, that's the problem. But it's always somebody's going to be left out. Yeah. Yeah. But there's nothing you can do about that. Every, every, I mean, in the end, you have to leave yourself out because you can't tell the story. You know, the story probably can't be be told any other way. So that's another film done. I would like to do a film about the drum, not about the uh, the drummers. And uh, there's, uh, you probably don't know what Desert Island Discs is, do you? Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, well, those of you of you who don't, it's a uh, it's a program on, on British radio that's been going for 50 years. And it's about if you were marooned on a desert island with uh, what records would you take with you and what 10 records would you take with you? And so we moved it along to if we were marooned on a desert island, what 10 snare drums would we take with us? So <laughs> it, uh, it's, it's, it's become known as Desert Island Snare Drum. Yeah. And uh, it's very interesting because, I mean, I don't know what your – uh, your absolute favorite is John. I'm guessing it's got it's got a G in the title in the name of it. But um, it, it, for me, it's, it's an L. It's for you. It's what? An L. An L. Yeah. A good old 400 Superphonic. No, no. Black Beauty. No. No. Uh, Keep going. Uh, Jazz Fest. Nope. It's uh, metal. It's metal. Um, um, just a, a good old brass. Uh, it's, oh, Anybody uh, else? Oh, 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 oh. I, 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 uh, the the um... just happened to have one here. This guy. That's a one. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I was. I. I played at the. Me and Dave Maddox. Funnily enough, that's the one. Played at the uh, Chicago Drum Show, and. Uh, we we were talking, you know. It was about it was about the the whole drum scene in England, and we were talking. And the book had just come out, and I was signing the book after I'd played. And half, while I was playing, I mentioned that drum, and the guy said, "Who asked the question from the floor?" Said, "Have you still got it?" I said, "No, it was stolen." He said, "Oh, that's a shame." So I signed his book for him, and he went off. And he came back later on with something behind his back. And he said, I bought something for you. I said, what? 
And I was remembering the Keith Moon story, you know, I couldn't have the DRB special, couldn't bring myself. And so there, there we are with the, with the uh, aluminium drum oh and uh, he gave it to me. Fantastic. Yeah. Did, did you, it was good, did you, good story. That's a great yeah. story. Did, did you actually take it physically that day or did he ship it to you? Yeah, no, you... I, I was going back the next day and uh, yeah, no, I, I've had in my life, I've had an awful lot of snare drums in the overhead bin. Yeah. Yep. No plane coming home. I'm sure you have. Rather than miss out on them, you know. Yeah. Oh man. You know, I I was talking of Dave Maddox. I I don't know how. I, I I'm sure Dave would have a hard time picking his ten favorite snare drums, knowing Dave. But um, yeah, I, I that's a good. That would be a good. I'd love to have you guys on sometime to talk about that. Like your your favorite. Well, he, he's always gone. I would only ever take five snare drums to a session to a, a, an album session wouldn't yeah. take any more and i would always use the one that i wanted to use for the album i would always play that last on the grounds that the, the producer is not going to remember you, you, how can you remember which was the best one so if you make the one you want to use last then that works but i think dave takes 500 snare drums is that right dave yeah, he's he's still watching <laughs> i know he's got 500 i something like that and i know he's he he uh he thinned the herd a while back. I remember he was telling me he was he was letting go of a few drums. So, but he's probably you know I, I think I've got last time I counted I think I've got maybe about thirty or thirty five. But uh, all right, yeah. Have you sold Dave any? I haven't sold Dave any. I don't know that he won any of mine. <laughs> he's got them all. <laughs> well, what he didn't, yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting with him. I I had um. 35 drum kits in the loft. That's the one. 35 drum kits in the loft at uh, my old house. And I thought the roof was going to fall down. And uh, and there were 55 snare drums, which is absolutely bloody stupid. And uh, that was when I realized I needed help. You know, I, I really needed help. So I got a guy who came <laughs> around and looked at them and said, we've got to get all these out of here. I said, why is that? So because the roof's going to fall in. Oh, so. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I got rid of everything, but you don't ever get rid of everything because as you go from drum show to drum show, you'll see that drum that was yours and that drum that was yours and, and so on. Yeah. So it's a, uh, but it it is uh, there is a light at the end of the tunnel tunnel if you're actually uh, if you can't stop yourself. I mean, I began to say I need a my daughter needs a snare drum, you know, so I would buy you know a four hundred. Oh, this even though I had them. You know, yeah. <laughs> so this is for you, Lucy. Oh, great! And then I, the, the the doozy was, I bought a snare drum for my wife. Now that is the most ridiculous, stupid thing anybody can do. But I was in the throes of addiction. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to tell you a similar story. My son, I had two of of as you say the G word, two Gretsch, um, chrome over brass. You know the classic Gretsch metal snare drums. I had two of those. And my son, really, who's 34 and a, and a fine drummer, um, fell in love with one of them. I'd let him borrow it. And, you know, he was he said, Dad, you know, when you want this back, just tell me, you know, but I'm I'm really enjoying using I'll it. And I said, country. yeah. And I, I said, no, what? I said, why don't you keep it? I said, I have another one. You know, I have another one. And and no, 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 no. I told, and I said, no, Johnny, keep it, keep it. You know, so he kept it. And then I went out and bought another one because I wanted to have two. <laughs> So I know what you're well, saying. The point is, all four hundreds don't sound the same. 
all Gretsch um, snare drums don't sound the same. I mean, they yeah. just don't. Yeah. They don't. Now, that's my excuse. That has been my excuse for forty years. Yeah, yeah, and and I and I would agree with that too. You know, some are easier to work with than others. Some involve a little bit more, especially Gretsch. They need a little bit more, um, you know, tender, loving care to get them to really sound good. And uh, yeah, well, you know uh, what, John? When we had drum store, a guy came in with a, a, a Gretsch snare drum to sell, and I turned it over and looked inside, and he had scraped all the all the silver off it, uh, and. So I struggled to see if there was any difference, and I couldn't. I couldn't tell any difference, but uh, I thought it was an interesting thing to do. Yeah, yeah, I know they, the 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 mystery of what that silver is, the seal, whether it's to hide any, you know, if it's to seal the shell or if it's to hide any imperfections, or or it's just you know, all the wood. Yeah, yeah. Old, yeah. Yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah, that's too funny. But you know, this is but to your point, Bob, this is such a great drum. And yeah. I I um I don't use it a lot, but when I do, I'm reminded of how great it is. You, you, yeah, you know, yeah. It's one of those things where I've I've taken this, we go to the uh, Martha's Vineyard in the summer, and I take a drum set down there, and sometimes I'll do gigs and I'll bring this drum because I feel like it just it'll it's it's a it works for anything I might have to yeah. do, and it, not that I'm doing anything more than rock, but it's just a good all around. Uh, it, it, the acrylite works for rockabilly. I mean, it's as if it was made it were made for rockabilly. It just makes the noise that that, that you want. Yeah, probably yep. not said noise, but the sound that you want. Yeah, boy, we'll we'll have to do another one where we just talk about snare drum. Okay. Yeah. Good. Uh, well, if you like, I'll send you the uh, Desert Island snare drum piece, and you can uh, you can work it out from there. Please but there's do, an awful yeah. lot of um, there's an awful lot of drums out there, and uh, and you're 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 buying a lot of them. It would appear. <laughs> I am completely clean now. I am not buying any more bloody drums. I'm not buying any more bloody cymbals. I'm not buying. <laughs> <laughs> Good man. I'm I'm I'm. I tend to be looking for vintage symbols too. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you're right though. It's a crazy, I go through phases where I just, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm restless. I'm itchy. I hear something. And I, I think like hearing Ringo, I, I went on the hunt for, you know, looking for Zins and old Peisty 602s and, and uh, I've got to just knock it off because it is mm. the, it is the archer, not the arrow. So as, as our friend says, in most cases, I, um, you mentioned Ringo, and I haven't really—I uh, haven't mentioned him, but uh, I got a, a call to make an album with Ringo. So I've got—I found my way uh, to Sweet Silence, which is a recording studio in Copenhagen, and we were there. I am. Ringo is uh, singing, and I'm playing drums. I mean, who? How did that happen? So <laughs> I, I had a wonderful time, and it was the time of the drum store, and he said. Uh, you still got a drum store? I said, well, I had when I left Ringo. Yeah, I hope so. So he said, I want to buy a drum kit for my son. Now, I don't know whether the son was Zach or the next one down, but whoever it was, he said, what have you got? I said, I'll let you know when I get there. So Ringo came into drum store. We sold him a, a Yamaha recording something or other. 
and for his son and, and some Zildjians to go with it. And he put his hand in his pocket. He said, uh, he said, how much is that? And it was, it was like, a, like a car dealer, you know. He, he pulled out from his back pocket this wad of money. So I, said, <laughs> so I told him how much it was. And he said, is that with my discount? I said, you've got a discount, Ringo. <laughs> and uh, he, he, wants, he, he wanted me to call him Richie. But um, lots of people, especially Americans, don't want to call him Richie. They want his Ringo to them. Greg certainly calls yeah. him Ringo. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. call him Richie. So, so that was a, a pretty interesting thing to do, you know, you making know, I, it up with, with Ringo. Yeah, that's a that's a great story. Um, I know that Jeff Chonis, his his longtime drum tech, yeah, yeah, um, refers to him as Richie. When I talk to Jeff, he'll 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 just say in passing Richie. And and I think there's a point in the film in Get Back where John or someone you hear them just kind of say something like. You're coming, Richie, or you, you know, you, you all. Oh say, yeah, yeah. Maybe one, one or two times you have to listen close, but there's a reference to Richie in there, which, yeah, um, very interesting. But um, yeah, it, that's it. He he. One time, uh, I I came to see him at a gig, and I asked him to sign some some drum heads to put on a kit that we had set up at Zildjian, a replica kit, a Ringo kit. Uh, many people think it's his actual kid. It looks that much like it. It's, you know, same wow. mid sixties Ludwig black oyster pearl. And, and uh, he, he, you know, he had originally said he wasn't going to sign no more signing anything, but he was, he, as a favor, he did sign these drum heads and he turned to me and he said, now, am I going to have to call my lawyer about this or something? You know, he's with that, that little look, you know, like, so I could imagine him saying to you, is that with my discount? <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, we want to. He's a he's a very interesting guy, very interesting, and he's a, well. They they all were very very interesting chaps, and of course they were rule they were ruling the world, you know. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, uh, yeah, it's. I mean, and we're still all these years later feeling. I think we're feeling the effects and. In the business side of it, and 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 in music, and you know, yeah. people that are inspired to play, it's there's still a residual. Well, he effect. turned everybody. I mean, he changed things for Ludwig. That is for absolutely certain, you know. And he changed things. And if you couldn't get a Ludwig, you got something else. I mean, that yeah. was ridiculous. You know, if you wanted a Ludwig, you'd wait until you could get one. But uh, uh, in the Beatles era, you you would take a drum kit, whatever one was available. Right. So you get a Rogers or you get a Gretsch or you get whatever you wanted or whatever you could get, of course. And yeah. it was, the, I guess it was the same with symbols, which we touched on with the stamp. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it I think it, it's, it really benefited Zildjian, but it benefited all those companies, as you say, and even companies like Crut that were, you know, I think if, if a, a kid and his dad went into, you know, your drum shop, Mm -hmm. they basically, you know, he wanted to leave with a drum kit, whether it was a, a Ludwig or a, you know, Japanese kit and a, and a set of cheap cymbals. He just wanted to have yeah. a drum kit to play. Well, the interesting thing is, John, it was always too more, too much money than more money than they could, they could afford. So yeah. uh, and it was always a Saturday. They came in with their kids <laughs> and you wanted to help them. You really, really wanted to help them. And you wanted to get them on the road as, as, as drummers. And so that's how, I mean, the, the other thing that would 
this is a Paiste story. People have come in about five o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, and they would say, how much are your Paiste sound edge? And we would say how much they were, say 100, 140 quid. And they would then say, well, we could get them around the corner for 130. Uh, and so we would then have to make a calculation. They couldn't, by the way. They, you know, they were 140 everywhere. Yeah. So we we had to make a calculation about whether or not we would lose 10 quid on the deal or or not make the 10 quid that we needed to make. And but people learn. The other thing they learned was they'd come in and they'd say, you know, that black kit in the window. You say, yeah. They say, um, have you got it in white? And we, we would say, well, no, we've got it in black. Oh, I've got to have white. And it was this was the bargaining, you know. They wanted to get it was the wrong color as far as they could, they were concerned. But they actually they didn't want it in the color they were pretending they wanted it in. Oh, that's I'd never heard that one. That's a that's a good strategy. Yeah. 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 Uh since you only have it in black, by yeah. the way. Sorry? It doesn't work. It doesn't work in New York. No, no, it doesn't. I'm sure it doesn't. Yeah. I, I wasn't managed, but I went into one of the drum shops very early on. And uh, <laughs> the guy said, can I help you? I said, well, I, I'm just looking. And the guy said, there's no just looking. <laughs> uh, <that's laughs> yeah. There's no just looking. Yeah. Oh, I, I worked. I'll just tell you a quick story. I worked at a shop in Boston. You might remember this. You, you might have had an occasion to go in there. Um, it was called EU Wurlitzer Music. And oh, was, yeah. Yeah, it was up by Berkeley in those days. Um, I worked there from 79 to 84 in the drum shop and uh, and before my time, but I feel like it was not much before my time, sometime in the 70s. As the story goes, um, there was this, there's a man named Ed Cooper that worked in the drum, he worked everywhere, but he worked in the drum department for a while, worked at the front counter where they sold all the guitar strings and saxophone reeds and, you know, mm -hmm. all the accessories. And so he was working the front counter one busy Saturday. And as the, the legend goes, Aretha Franklin walks in and the counters, you know, 10 people deep. There's, you know, people just waiting to buy strings, picks, whatever. And she then supposedly said, excuse me, excuse me. I'm Aretha Franklin. I've been waiting here 10 minutes. My limousine is double parked outside. I'd like some service. <laughs> and this guy, Ed Cooper said, hey, lady. I don't give a shit if you're Benjamin Franklin. You're going to have to wait like everybody else. <laughs> what a great story. He was, yeah, we this, should pull all those stories together, you know, John. Yeah. Oh, they yeah. He, he was laughing anyway. It, it, it's, it. <laughs> but your, your story, remind, I, when I was a kid, I remember going in there when I was like 16 or 17 and him waiting on me in the drum department and scaring the hell out of me because I'd, I'd say I'm just I'm just I'm just looking at that Gretsch set or something, and he'd say, uh, I'd say, can I can I try it or can I try the drum set? And he'd say, you got any money? And I'd say, well, no. And it'll come back when you got money, you know. So you, the, <laughs> those are the things you remember. <laughs> um, there was a guy called Scotty, wasn't there? Oh, that's right. He worked. Yeah, I knew Scotty. God bless him. He worked there, and then he worked over at Jack's Drum Shop for many years. He was at Jack's. Yeah, he came into into drum store. And uh, oh. I didn't know him, but I was really pleased, you know, who he was. I, yeah. I, I don't even think I'd mess him. But from then on, you know, every time I went to, to uh, I would, I would go to see Scotty. I don't remember buying anything, 
I used to buy, I was more likely to be in a mum and pop uh, uh, <clears throat> music stop, shop looking for uh, a bargain. Yeah. You know, yeah. That somebody had forgotten about or missed. Because when, when, when we first went there in 70, there really wasn't um, the whole vintage drum market going on. You know, people right. wanted new and shiny. They didn't want old and battered, even whatever it was. They wanted new and shiny. Isn't that something? I know, I know. And and now, I I don't know about you, but when I go into any music store, the first place I go is the the old and battered section. You know, if I go into pro drum, yeah, yeah. I'll ask the guys yeah. like, "What do you have that's old and vintage?" You know, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I have I a look. <laughs> but Bob, this has been fantastic, and I and I I so appreciate your time today. It's been a, a great conversation, as I knew it would. And I just want to thank you and, and remind everybody that you can pick up Bob's book on Amazon, Bang It On, have a look for his upcoming books. The Heyman book is out there too, as you say. Heyman's already available, yeah. Yep, that's available. And um, hopefully one more time we'll be out soon and we'll, yeah. we'll have updates on that. Uh-huh. And uh, and I just, again, thanks again for doing this. We, we could go on all day and we'll, we'll definitely do another one of these too. We'd probably need a beer if we were going on all day. I'm in for that. Yeah. All right. We'll do that next time. John, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Bob. Thank you so much. Well, please, please please hang on for a minute and I'm going to end the stream and then we'll say goodbye in the, uh, in the room here. So everybody watching, thanks for watching today. Big hand for, for the great Bob Henrit. Dave Maddox says fab stuff and um, great. So thanks again. And hang tight for one second, if you would, Bob. Thanks. Okay.